Hey, good morning again, everyone. Hey, I'd like to offer a warm welcome to those of you in the traditional service or those of you joining us online via broadcast. It's good for us to study the Word of God together as a church family, even though we're worshiping in different places and different styles, but we can be united together in the study of God's Word. I'm not sure over in the traditional venue if I'm big or small right now. I heard last service that I was about the size of a little ant. On the screen, which is remarkable. So if that's me, hi, I'm a real person up here. And I also heard that you need me to speak slowly. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that, but I'll try, okay? So today we're beginning our summer sermon series on the book of Isaiah. And I'm really excited about beginning this study because the book of Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. And I think that it might be able to begin to solve a mystery that many of us are confused about. The mystery is this. How does the God of the Old Testament relate to Jesus and what he came in the New Testament? Anybody ever wondered that before? It's pretty normal to have questions about that. And if you're here with questions, I'm not sure I'm going to solve all of them or we'll get to all your questions as we work through Isaiah, but I think it's a great starting place. In my work with youth over the years, I've noticed that they get really confused when we start talking about the Old Testament. They seem to understand Jesus and his love and compassion pretty well in the New Testament. When we start reading the Old Testament, they start to think, wow, this seems like almost a different God with these rules and regulations that don't seem to relate to my life, and I'm not sure how to make sense to this. And I think that's pretty normal, and one of my joys is helping young people to discover a love for the Bible and understand a little bit more how the pieces fit together and how they ultimately point to Jesus. But I think it's normal for us to have questions about the Old Testament. I'm not going to do a show of hands, but I've asked you adults, how many of you have actually read through the Old Testament? I'm not sure how many of you would actually raise your hand. I'm not actually going to do that, so you don't know has to raise their hand or feel embarrassed or anything. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, when I came to know Jesus, I, I started reading the New Testament a lot and wanted to start reading the Old Testament, and I got stuck somewhere around like Leviticus, just started not making sense to me. And I think a lot of my friends have shared with me a very common experience that they start reading the Old Testament and they get stuck somewhere, maybe even in Genesis, but they hardly ever get to the point where they get to Isaiah, which is one of the great prophets in the later part of the Old Testament that we're going to be studying together this summer. And that's a part of why I'm excited about studying it, because I wonder how many of us have even read Isaiah before. And I think Isaiah is a great gateway into understanding the relationship between God and the Old Testament and what he came to do in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so if you're here and you have questions, I'm glad you're here. If you're Uh, If you're here and you've never read the Old Testament before or you have never even read the Bible before, I'm glad you're here because I think our study of Isaiah is going to help us to understand and grow in learning what the big story of the Bible is all about and how it relates to Jesus Christ and what that means for our lives today. And I hope that's more than just an intellectual thing, but helps us to experience and relate to God's promises, his amazing promises and the Old Testament more in our life. So as we begin this study, I'd like to invite you just to pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you that you love us and that you gave us your word. And Lord, I pray that now you would come and open up your word to us by your Holy Spirit, that we could learn a more, more walk in your ways and trust in your promises and glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're beginning our study of the book of Isaiah today in chapter 61. 
which might seem like an odd place to start a study of a book. Uh, There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, and the reason we're starting in Isaiah 61 is this is the chapter that Jesus read from when he began his public ministry on the earth. In the passage Lindsay read today in Luke chapter 4, Jesus walked into a synagogue with his family, which was the custom of the time, and was handed a scroll. They didn't have Bibles with page numbers. They had scrolls with the scriptures written on them. And he read from Isaiah 61 these words that are incredibly powerful. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. See what he was going to say. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this might seem like a pretty innocent statement to us, but to Jesus' first audience, this would have been an incredible statement. In the first century, they were expecting the Messiah to come and restore what they knew of the kingdom of God to Israel. The Old Testament wasn't some book on the shelf or a book they didn't understand. The Old Testament was their story. It was the only scriptures they had. And this story wasn't a confusing book to them. It taught them who God was and what he wanted for their lives. And they believed they were living in the story. And it was rushing to a dramatic climax when the Messiah would come. And Jesus in this moment claims to be that Messiah, that the Spirit of the Lord is on him to fulfill this promise to Isaiah that he made over 700 years before this moment. This is an incredible moment. I think it takes us into a portal that understands the story of the scriptures in the Old Testament. Because the Jews understood that they were living in this story. And the story had a very clear beginning. The book of the the Old Testament records begin in the book of Genesis, which means origins, with a good God that created the heavens and the earth. That the earth wasn't created by accident or randomness or chance, but God created the universe. And its beauty and its goodness and its majesty all reflect the character of a loving God. And he created human beings. And he called them very good to reflect his image and his goodness and to help him take care of his good world. That was their identity. But very quickly, the Bible tells us that that good world began to experience some chaos, some crisis. That human beings, rather than trusting in the goodness of God, rebelled away from him. And that brought sin and suffering and the decay of death into the world. Rather than God walking with them, as Genesis describes, in the cool of the day and existing in this personal relationship with human beings, they're now separated from God, no longer dwelling with him in the garden. But that's not the end of the story. That's really just the beginning of the story of the, of the, New, of the Old Testament, Because God begins this search and rescue operation from the moment they leave the garden. And he begins this process of calling them to become restored in a relationship with him. And his plan is that he would choose one particular group of people to restore his blessing to the whole world. And you see that beginning 
One with Noah in that story, which we won't get into today. That's a little confusing, right? But then you get to Abraham, and God called this one man, Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you're going to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And what started to this promise and this covenant between God and Abraham quickly spread to a family and a generation, and then to a tribe, and then to the nation of Israel that God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. And he formed the covenant on Mount Sinai with them, where he gave them the Old Testament. I remember one time I was explaining the story of the Old Testament to a group of young people, and this teenager looked at me and said, well, wait a minute, what, like, what happened before they had the Ten Commandments? I was like, they didn't have the Ten Commandments. God gave them to them. She was like, oh, that's so cool. That's like special. I was like, yes, that's exactly what God said. You're my treasured possession. You're my kingdom of priests and a holy nations set apart to reflect my goodness and the light of my presence in this dark world to bring blessing rather than curse to the nations. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament, after you get out of the Torah that sees God bring his people into the promised land, is the reality that even though the Israelites and God's people had God's commandments and his presence dwelling among him, they began to rebel away from God, just like we did in the garden. It's human nature. They began to rebel against God's ways and worship and serve other gods. And so even though they lived in the promised land, God began to raise up prophets like the prophet Isaiah that told his people that God was concerned more with their heart obedience and worship and obedience to God than the prosperity of their nation. And that God would allow the unthinkable to happen. That just after about 300, 400 years after entering the promised land, foreign armies came in and brought destruction to the kingdoms of Israel. First the Assyrians and then the Babylonians destroyed major parts of God's people's land, the temple, and their houses were destroyed, and many of them were carried off into exile. And most of the rest of the Old Testament is God's people learning to make sense of this disappointment and this deep sense of grief and pain, of disillusionment, understanding where is God when everything fell apart. If you read the Psalms, the prayer book in the middle of the Bible, you'll find that over half of those Psalms, 77 of them actually, are laments grieving the reality that they're experiencing in the broken world and holding on to the promises of God. Because while they were in exile, they began to read in the prophets like Isaiah that God not only warned them of this destruction, but promised them that pain and destruction wasn't the end of their story. That there would come a day when God would raise up a Messiah to restore the kingdom to Israel. And so when Jesus steps onto the scene... He's stepping into a real hope of people that have experienced incredible pain and destruction and suffering. That God is about to bring restoration. When he read from Isaiah 61, they would have known probably this whole passage by heart. It's a beautiful promise of what it looks like and what it'll feel like and what their souls will experience when the Messiah returns. It's in Isaiah 61. And it says this, and I want to read this to you, and you can read it with me on the screen and just let it soak into your soul of what it will be like when the Messiah comes and brings God's kingdom. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up 
the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Zion's the name for Israel. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. My people will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord's splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And it says that their soul will delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. When the Messiah arrived, did you hear those images? How beautiful they were. God was promising to bring beauty out of their ashes. Ashes were a symbol of sorrow and shame and despair. To give them a spirit of joy and praise rather than heaviness. To bind up and heal broken hearts. To restore cities and let justice and righteousness spring up among the nations. That people would begin to declare the glory of God and see his power and majesty. It was a beautiful image of God delighting in his people and rejoicing over them, of singing songs like at a wedding celebration, that people would be experiencing God as a bride prepares to experience the joy of getting married to her groom. This is what they were expecting the day of the Messiah to be, be like. And so when Jesus steps into the synagogue, reads the scroll, and declares, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, this was an incredible promise to his audience. He's saying the time is now. What God has promised long ago is happening through me. Clearly, Jesus didn't think he came to show us a different God from the God of the Old Testament. He came to show us what God's heart is really like, that God's heart has always been filled with love and desire for restoration with his broken world and broken people. And throughout Jesus' life, you can follow him through the Gospels. He fulfills these promises. In every encounter, he binds up the brokenhearted. He preaches good news to the poor. He welcomes outcasts back to God. He even called Abba, the Father, this intimate name and expression of relationship with him. Abba, Daddy. And he taught his followers to trust the Father in heaven as a father cares for and provides for his people. When he was in the garden preparing to go die on the cross, he prayed to his Father in heaven, not my will, but your will be done. And when he died alone on the cross for the sins of the world, he cried out to his Father. And he trusted his soul to God. Jesus wasn't coming to start a new religion or to show us that he was a different God than the God of the Old Testament, but to show us in the flesh what God's heart is really like for his people. And when Jesus went to die on the cross and rose from the dead, he did something bigger and better than what the people of Isaiah's time and even the, his first audience in the first century expected the Messiah to do. 
He opened the promises and the presence of God up to people of all nations. He made a way for people like you and me, Jew and Gentile, to know the goodness and the glory of God and to come into that same kind of relationship with the Father that was filled with love and trust where God promised to bind up our broken hearts, to forgive our sins and heal our wounds and be near to the hurting and the poor and to release people from oppression to all kinds of forces of evil in this world. That Jesus was opening up those promises to anyone who would turn and believe in him as their Savior and Lord. You see, Jesus' life shows us that God's plan and promises was always bigger and more beautiful than anyone realized. After Jesus rose from the dead, the first followers of Christ began to proclaim that Jesus didn't come just to fulfill the promises of one nation, but to bring people of all nations to God. In one of his first letters to the churches, the Apostle Paul, he writes that the core of his message that he travels around the world to preach is this. I have become the servant of this gospel that God gave me to present to you, the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that God has kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Rather than seeing the story of the Bible as a mystery and Jesus as a different God from the Old Testament, Paul is saying that the mystery of God throughout the scriptures is now unlocked through Jesus and announced for the whole world that what Jesus came to do and fulfilling the promises of God in the Old Testament is good news for everyone who will believe. As we study and learn about the promises of God in the past in Isaiah, we really get a glimpse of what God wants to do in our lives today. Those promises are for us. Jesus is opening up God's story to become our story. And to learn to see the God of the Old Testament and the work of God in the past through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in relationship with him. In another letter to the first churches, Paul writes this about the promises of God in the Old Testament. He says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, Jesus, the amen, or let it be so, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Through Jesus, the whole story of Scripture becomes our story. Isn't that a remarkable statement? That these promises that God made so long ago become real and true for you and for me. The message of Isaiah was not just supposed to be good news for people in the ancient world, but through Christ for us today. Jesus is still setting captives free, forgiving sins, delivering people from evil forces, and bringing beauty out of the ashes of our lives to bring them to him, to glorify God. As Paul says, the spirit that's given to us is just a deposit of what is to come. That right now we've received a down payment as we experience peace and joy and righteousness as we sang in the contemporary service in a song earlier, we're experiencing just a, a down payment 
of what we're going to experience when Jesus returns to bring his final kingdom, in which he invites those who have received his spirit and surrendered to him as their Lord and Savior to be with God forever. In a kingdom where there is no more crying, no more pain, and no more suffering. That invitation is open to you and to me. And right now, while we await that time, God promises to bring healing and hope to our souls in the midst of our lives and world where we experience real brokenness, pain, and disappointment, just like the people throughout the scriptures. That God has promised to become real and present to us in the midst of this broken world. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And over the last couple months, I've been really encouraged as many of you have shared your own stories of how God has brought beauty out of the ashes of your own life, how he's brought redemption and hope and healing out of your own brokenness. And I think as we've seen videos of people's testimonies that have witnessed to the power of God in their life, I think it gives the rest of us permission to be honest about our own lives and to seek God's healing more in our own hearts. Because God isn't done with any of us He has a story for each one of us to share. God's promises are meant to be for you and for me. And I hope that we can continue to grow as a community of creating a safe place where we can be honest about our brokenness, where we can find forgiveness for our sin and healing for our wounds. That we can seek that together in Christ. And I hope that this week, maybe each of you has a friend. I'd like to challenge you to have a conversation with, a simple conversation that I think could help you to maybe experience a little more of God's power and presence and healing in your life, I'd like for you just to have a simple conversation with a friend that you trust about where is an area in your heart and life where you don't experience peace, love, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit? Where is an area where your soul is weighed down by anxiety or despair? or you don't feel like you have a spirit of praise, you have a spirit of heaviness. All of us carry around heavy burdens, and God doesn't want us to carry those around alone. I know in my own life I have friends that I can call when I'm feeling heavy and weighed down, and I can allow them to speak blessing into my life and remind me of the promises of Jesus Christ and to hang on to those and to know that God's not done with me so I can find hope and healing. And that's what God wants for each one of us, to experience joy and love and peace in our hearts through the Spirit that he promises will be present with us through Jesus and believing in his name. And the second thing I'd like to encourage you to do this week is to find something that will remind you that God rejoices over you. That God has loved you with an everlasting love and has come to fulfill his promises for you. Because I think sometimes we just get so weighed down with life that we, don't for- we forget And we don't remember that God loves us and is with us and he's rejoicing over us. And so I brought what's going to remind me of that this week. This is a little block that I got from my daughter, Nora, who's five years old. She made it at LADC. She painted it. It says number one dad on it. And this is going to remind me all week of God's promises, that God rejoices over me, that he's not done with me, that he wants to bring hope and healing and a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. He wants that for each one of us. And I pray that as a church community, we could experience more and more of what Jesus has for us. We study Isaiah, and we begin to see how his promises that he made so long ago could be more true in our lives today. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you sent Jesus for us, that you long to bring restoration and healing to our lives and our hearts, that you want us to have a spirit of praise instead of heaviness. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here right now in this moment that feels like they don't know you and they want to give their lives to you and they want you to be their Messiah and King, that they would listen to your voice and respond to you. Say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to receive your promises. And God, for those of us who do know you, I pray that you would fill our hearts afresh this week with your rejoicing over us, that you're not done with us. Fill our hearts with joy. I ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.